guys, it's Bardock Community College, and we are talking about Anthony Bourdain's uh, first book, Kitchen Confidential, Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. Uh, this is Jordan. And I'm there. Uh, being up front, I chose this book. Um, for those of you that don't know me, all the all of the .5 people that listen to this podcast and don't actually know me, um, I am... Um, we love you, by the way, Mister. Yeah, whoever's in Ireland listening to this, or only, or only he, or who, who is that? Perhaps a person who half knows you. Yeah, maybe. Like, like whoever, whoever's in Bangladesh and Ireland listening to this, like you, my dogs. All right, you homies. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm uh, a pretty big mainstay in like home cooking. Um, I, I've I've been making dinners at home since I'm like my dad taught me at 10 and him and my grandma got really deep into like passing on recipes and stuff through me. So, um, Anthony Bourdain was my, uh, inspiration to originally go into culinary school, which I did not really last. I, I, I got like a couple of dozen shadow hours, um, on a, uh, come in for a week and see if you like it kind of deal. Uh, and then I haunted a couple of kitchens that were real local to me and, uh, never, it just didn't stick. I'm I'm not I learned very very quickly that um I'm not built to make food a career. Um I I still enjoy it. I make wild shit all the time. Um so like I I I can respect it, but uh I I chose this book because uh Tony was the biggest inspiration. Like me and my dad used to watch his show a cook's tour when it first came out and then uh, no reservations and uh, borders and all that. And um, it, it's, he's kind of not only just an everyman, he's not just a chef. Like he has a very unique. He's like, he's like a weird, almost like a rock yeah, star. Yeah, and he's got a very unique perception on sort of how the world works and how the, the meanings between men work. Um, and so coming into this, uh, so this book was kind of totally out of left field, uh, to, for, for me to check out. Cause, uh, I only really knew of Anthony Bourdain, like in the Vegas sense, like I might've seen one of his shows at one point I knew, um, people talked about him i have friends i have friends who really like you know cooking shows and cooking stuff who have talked about him uh but i didn't really know almost anything about him before we sat down to uh read this book for the show uh and uh this is probably i would say the most different book we are ever going to talk about on the show uh at least for probably a good a good while since it doesn't have any robots no or uh, uh, magic or anything. At least not no not moon as many based as revolutions. Um, no moon based revolutions. And I don't mean the moon spinning. No time travel wizards. Time travel wizards. Yeah. Um, no vampires. So generally, if we um, could avoid vampires don't, don't, in the don't future, expect... period, I would I would love it. Like the graveyard <laughs> book was still was, was still amazing, but. Vampire fiction in general is not great. At me, you fucking cowards. Um, anyway, um, so this was this was a different read for me, and not necessarily in the sense of 
um, it was an entirely new experience because uh, I have read plenty of memoirs and uh, nonfiction. Almost, I I hesitate to say journalistic because um, this is kind of journalistic, but not exactly because it's way too personal. Well, it's described <laughs> as sort of a confessional and a commentary more than commentary is probably I think the most. Yeah, it's, it's definitely then. sort of an insight into the industry in general. It's it's half memoir. Yeah, half because there are interspaced between um, interesting industry standards and restaurant behind the scenes and stuff like that. There are these um, almost tongue in cheek references to his personal life, which he never goes too insanely deep on, although he literally spends no shorter. So I had the audiobook that is narrated by him, and I believe Derek had a Kindle version of it. But th- there are yeah, there are no the fewer version. than a hundred words about uh, how deep into heroin and or coke at any given time he was early on in his career. So he's not um, a particular stranger to pulling that curtain back on himself a little bit and going, hey, by the way, I was a junkie who also happened to make really good potatoes. So. (laughs) I will get a little more into that. Um, But yeah, I guess real quick, let's let's talk about a little more about Anthony Bourdain, the man. So. Um, you mentioned you started watching him on TV. like Yeah, that was in 2002-ish, I believe is when it came out. And then um, his most famous show was No Reservations, which was on the Travel Channel, I believe. I think that one was actually on... One of them was uh, on that CNN. That was Parts was Unknown, that the one on if CNN? I remember. Okay. I'm trying to think. I don't remember which one of them... Because, like, No Reservations was on the Travel Channel for a long, long time. And then, I think Parts Unknown... Yeah, so it was split. Parts Unknown was split between the Travel Channel and CNN. CNN picked it up after a little bit. And what's interesting to me, is, at least, is A Cook's Tour is a very straightforward food show. But it's, like, travel food where he goes to different places just to try the cuisine... His other stuff is more, actually more like travelogue stuff and less food focused. Um, there's um, there's a, a couple of really neat episodes uh, I checked out to kind of get a feel for his screen uh, persona. Um, there's a really interesting episode of him, uh, I think is it in Lebanon? Uh, yeah, he was in Beirut. From, uh, no Reservations. Uh, during the middle of yeah, a, there like was a war. the uh, the Israel Lebanon conflict broke out, and they had to uh, they had filmed a couple hours of it for the show, and they had to uh, they ran into Hezbollah supporters, had to sort of get smuggled out of the uh, they were evacuated eventually, but like they had their local guides were sort of like, hiding them around so, that, like, they wouldn't get too deep into whatever shit was going on at the time. Which I can only imagine, like, and it seems calm at the time, um, because, like, even he doesn't get too jazzed out about it in the episode, but um, I, I think everybody can respect how much stress that had to have do. Um, 
Yeah, and his his kind of weird personal life of uh, being being like a I almost want to say he was kind of like a fun boomer. It seems to be like he he gets this. He's you know he's into punk music. He's a junkie for most of his life. He lives kind of a a, a ramshackle existence until he starts writing and kind of makes it big through this book. And then of all things gets a deal uh, to make a cook's tour um, after, which, which is hilarious to me because he spends a bunch of this book uh, mocking the idea of being a chef on the travel channel. Well, it's not necessarily that he was mocking. He was mocking the, the faux celebrity of the TV chef. Um, so, the funny recurring gag in most of Tony Bourdain's life is that the man talks mad shit about Emerald Lagasse. <laughs> among other, uh, among other, uh, like yeah, celebrity chefs, is, but that's Emerald Lagasse. I guess I don't know what those two had in for each other early on in in Bourdain's life. But every chance he gets to take a shot at Emerald Lagasse, he does it in full Technicolor. And it's it's one of the funniest feuds I've ever seen. I, I, I don't even know that Emerald Lagasse gives a shit. And I don't really. Here's the other thing. I am, as we as we go more into this episode, I am not a cook. I am not like I have a little bit of cooking skills, um, but I am not an artiste and I'm not a Jordan level cook. Um, the, the most that I ever watched of like, uh, cooking TV was like kitchen nightmares. Um, and I, it's honestly, I think having read this book and watched, uh, some of Anthony Bourdain's shows, I, it's honestly kind of a shame cause I would have actually been pretty into his stuff. I think if I'd been more exposed to it, um, but uh, with uh, it's it's also funny on that point. Uh, the only the only chef he seems to have good words for is ironically Julia Child in this book because he mentions uh, taking a recipe from a Julia Child uh, cookbook uh, to use for some kind of fancy uh, party that he and his friend were working for. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like he's um, to make a to make a cauldrons to make a big like cauldron yep. bread thing i think feed the bitch um <laughs> feed the bitch thank so, you so uh um, he um he talks a lot of shit about like paula dean bobby flay guy fieri sandra lee rachel ray um and the reason quoted is that his biggest issue is um there's no authenticity to it. And that's something that is kind of a recurring theme in Bourdain's life is like, he's one of those people who you may not like the truth coming out of his mouth, but he doesn't have the energy to lie to you. <laughs> so it's always very interesting yeah. to see it, uh, see it kind of take those weird turns. Yeah. And, and coming, I'm probably going to come back to this a lot, but, I think part of the charm of Bourdain is he has this kind of magnetic realness about him that, you know, and I get, and I, I understand the, like the disdain for like the flash of it and like the, the sanitized TV personality of it. 
But even when you watch Bourdain on TV, there is a unrestrained kind of realness about him, which is very refreshing. And it, it very much is present within the book. That's if you want a good summation of his writing style, uh, it's filthy and Frank. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you, you should not read his books if you are very lightly offended. Um, especially if you have never really been inside of like an industrial or a, 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 a any kind of kitchen whatsoever with other people. If you don't know what, if you don't want to know how the meat is made, don't read the book. Well, I mean, 50, 50, like it never really goes into like the degeneracy of, Hey, what's a hot dog. But it does tell you that like <laughs> kitchens are generally testosterone and cocaine fueled high functioning alcoholics that sleep six hours a week. Like that's, that's pretty much the two <laughs> didn't read for pretty much every kitchen. He's worked in. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's interesting. Apparently he did uh, reconcile with Emerald Lagasse eventually because he sort of saw himself becoming a celebrity chef and he started being a little more specific about his insults and he apologized in person to Emerald Lagasse. <laughs> That's good. There's an actually one of, there's a funny episode of his show where he goes to Louisiana and he keeps complaining, or he keeps like being like, it's like, it's like people here just seem to have a problem with me. And he like pans over to an, a restaurant for Emerald Lagasse. Uh, and people in the episode keep dunking on him the whole time he's there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, he, he was a unique guy. Um, he, he died in 2018, um, through suicide. Uh, which was impressive, but uh, hung himself, so that's kind of deep. Um, he was going on a lot. Uh, he had a, sh a whole lot going on in his life. Uh, the man lived off of two packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, I guess he stopped smoking in mid-2007, but that means he would have put down a carton a week for the better part of 25 years. <laughs> Uh, coffee, uh, he was, uh, the funny part about his drug use is that while he was getting clean of cocaine, he picked up heroin. And when he got, was getting clean of heroin, picked up <laughs> LSD. <laughs> so it's, uh, man, there's a, it's, it's just a wild story to, to talk about the guy. And there's just this genuineness to like how he deals with people like the, the, the beginning of the book. And I guess we can kind of get into step for the book. The beginning of the book is yeah. <laughs> sort of a description of his early life where he was, uh, his parents, uh, are from, or his dad's family, I believe is from France. And so he's, you know, the French offspring of a, he's just a, a bastardized American or an Americanized bastard child. So everywhere they go in France, him and his brother are like, we want, hamburger we want chicken nuggets we <laughs> and his parents are in france trying to have a good time they're like eventually they get so fed up with it they leave the kids in a car and go into a restaurant by themselves and he's like what the fuck guys and yeah I he goes, and i took personally. that personally so like 
Because, like, they kept going into, like, these really nice French places and ordering a hamburger and fries and hamburger and fries and hamburger and fries. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to show them. I'm going to eat everything. So, like, he sort of has made a career of really appreciating and getting down on wherever he's at's culture's foods. Um, like some of the worst meals he's ever had was there was an unwashed warthog rectum in Nam uh, Namibia, which apparently he is quoted as saying that is the worst meal of his life. The fermented shark he ate in Iceland, also apparently very bad. Uh, one of the worst fast food he ever had was a regular chicken McNugget, but the man loved Popeye's chicken. So that's talent right there. You know he's my man. My man. You know he's got he's got an eye for food. That's how it works. He's got he's got, he's got he an knows. eye for You taste. can't account for taste in taste. some people, but this man had it down. So he spends uh the next couple of years while they're vacationing in France over the summer like eating more and weirder stuff. Like there's a uh the the boat captain they go out with to do the the was it oysters or clams i think it was oysters he mentions going out i think it's uh, a mussel mussels was uh, part no, of it but i think he would the, the guy was cracking open oysters off the half shell and he was just slurping them raw um which you can do uh but there are uh foodborne pathogens that you have to be very <laughs> careful about with oysters they can fuck you up so um it's it's just interesting to see sort of the slow evolution, like one, one, cause every, everybody knows a picky eater and just about everybody, you know, was a picky eater when they were a kid. Like you've got what, two siblings, mm -hmm. which one of you is the picky eater? Uh, that's that the you? middle one. He's a, oh, that's right. No, You're that's the baby. Kevin. I'm the, I'm, the I'm baby. You're not the I'm oldest. The I'm not. The, oh I, man. Yes, You're a bunch I of children. Yep. But, uh, just, uh, they were, well, and it's funny. I've probably gotten more pickier as I've gotten older and the other two have gotten less picky as they've gotten older. I mean, it's, I still wouldn't, I, I would honestly, and there's not, there's not really a whole lot. I won't try if I'm not allergic. Yeah. To I it. mean, I, I've gotten you to eat some weird shit, but it's mostly, I don't think you've ever eaten anything that I've recommended outside of your wheelhouse. So Like we we don't normally go to places uh, that are like too in the weeds either. I gotta like I I mean like I've got to avoid uh, I've got to avoid anything you know with peanuts and uh, peas, but which uh, ironically not being able to eat peas and lentils actually takes out a a fair chunk of uh, <laughs> um, Indian and certain Asian. Oh cultures. yeah, it sucks too because Indians Indians really good. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I'll try, I'll try anything. Um, I, I was, I, I will I say picky when I was a kid, I don't think I was like cutthroat picky, but I think I did have like my preferences and very rarely did I leave the box where I have, uh, I guess pretty significantly changed since then. I will say um, there's like there's a good amount of food that, you know, I'm just never going to pick over other stuff, which is kind of like I think what I mean when I say I've got more picky yeah. as I've gotten older, because there's plenty of stuff I'll eat, but I don't 
particularly oh yeah man i can cook i I can cook a five-star dinner but i'm still gonna default to a baked potato and a cut of ribeye pretty much every night of the week if i can help it oh like i can make foie gras i can make beef wellington i can make steak diane i can do all of these crazy things it's always it's very funny reading this and having him talk like so happily about oysters and mussels when there is no food on this earth that i think i hate more than oysters and mussels so it's mostly sea bugs for me like lobster like you don't like lobster like i've had it at its best and its worst it's just not worth the cost to me like i like crab it's never worth it's never worth. yeah it. like I, i've never food. had a lobster dinner and go man that was worth the 35 dollars i chucked down for this fucking giant crustacean the sea <laughs> the sea cockroach. uh don't like shrimp don't like crawdads mussels i'm like eh, i can take them i really like oysters and mussels and maybe it was just because i was a kid or i was in the like i maybe it was bad mussels or something but I have never immediately hated the taste of something more yeah, than Yeah, they can be kind of like... <laughs> I don't want to say sour, because that's not really the flavor they give. Like, mussels have mussels and oysters have very unique flavors. Um, I don't know, what else? I don't like shrimp. don't like mud bugs. So, excuse me, I don't like crawdads. Uh, yeah, what do you mean by mud? Because you, you pick them bugs? out of the mud. They're mud bugs. That's what they're called in Louisiana. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, I ha- I dropped a colloquialism uh, on everybody. We got a little in the weeds there. Um, yeah, very like deep I'll in the weeds. A chunk of fish. Uh, there aren't many I won't do. Like I don't really like mahi. It's fine. Oh, I, I love yeah. Like most I'll, I'll eat fish. more uh, fish than lobster. probably not. I like crab. I like crab cakes a lot. Oh man, if you can give me, if you can lead me. I like a good like a good like crab, cake. crab cakes down here. Pretty good, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, real quick, let's let's just go ahead and give free advertisement. If you live in Fort yeah, Myers, yeah, if you're within an hour of like Fort Myers, Naples, like you go up 41 and you go to skip one. It's probably the best seafood I've ever had, and I I have literally spent months in New Orleans. Oh, it's so good. And it won't break. Although not to not to diss New Orleans, New Orleans is like one of my favorite places. I fucking love that city. So, uh, uh, back, of the back, plot. back of the plot. So, ooh, Tony kind of decides through. He ended up at this sort of the behemoth, which is not, I believe, what it was called. It was something else with a B, the dreadnought. That's the what dreadnought. it was with the D. I was way off. Which was kind of a Vermont or New England like seafood and steak shack that exists up there during the warm season and closes down when it gets too cold because who the fuck goes up to visit there? <laughs> who goes to New England in the winter going, I want to see the sights? It's so weird. Like, it's like, it's oh, like well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're snowbirds and, and sunbirds and all that. <laughs> so he sort of goes on like his first on and off cooking gig that he really only fell into because the people he was like sort of the the 10 people that were renting out this one small apartment he was the only one that didn't have a job and he felt like sort of guilty about it so he ended up like doing tables and you know scraping plates and shit in uh in the dreadnought and it's sort of an 
it really evokes a sense of like a community when he talks about the kitchen because like even later on he has people that he will work with forever and people that you know he'll call on and not do anything and then people he'll never work with again but for the most part if you're in the kitchen you have one job and that is to finish the night and hope to live (laughs) yeah um after he works at the Dreadnought, like this is like his, I guess his first job. He goes to culinary CIA, school yeah. in New York, um, culinary institute, yeah, CIA, um, where he talks about making it through, uh, having some rough, you know, having some like rough teachers. But since he already was kind of a chef, he he also had a bit knew how to cheat up. some of the things. Like he would hide certain ingredients in his cuff. To like make the dishes like pizzazz a little more so he could wow the teachers. <laughs> um, and I, so I hesitate to say that it would kind of be silly to walk through every, um, every kind of little place that he works at before he gets to his his quote unquote final his final like spot as a as a chef which is at least for this book as far as this book cares is a a French New York restaurant a, they're to referred to as brasseries he uh it's Le Hall yeah uh, um, I I think there are a couple because of after leaving the high points to hit as they are sort of an explanation of the industry which are really good like. When he talks about Bigfoot, like a day in the life are is very important. Um, but for the most part, it's just kind of like the greatest hits. Each of these, by the yeah. way, are chapter names that he's just mentioning. Because after after he kind of has his opening memoir stuff, talking about him getting to culinary school, he takes a break to talk mostly about the ins and outs of being in a kitchen and the restaurant business. And then goes back to insert more memoir stuff as the the book develops. When I when I said at the beginning that it's kind of like half and half of each, it has this structure of. Uh, so here's my life. Anyway, so let's talk about what's you know let's talk about what you're getting when you order uh, fish on a Monday, which, which he, eventually he walked back and apologized <laughs> for, but for like 15 years. So like. Generally, food orders are Tuesdays and Fridays. Like that's true almost across the industry. It's you can put dates on them. There are exam there are exceptions to this rule, but Tuesdays and Fridays tend to be meat, produce, bread. Like that's just it. So like, if you order a fish on a Monday, his point was like it's probably fish that they had left over and it's been made a special, or it's just stuff that's been sitting in like, whatever it was. The kitty is behind me, doesn't know how to use the litter box. She's just slapping the side of the litter box. <laughs> what a what a champion of industry. Yeah. Oh, I well, I just her. tossed a I tossed a drink top at her, and now she's slightly more interested in that. <laughs> oh, cat! And then she tries to hop out of it sideways, and she's too heavy, so it almost topples on top of her. And I'm just like, this is a dangerous game you're playing, Cat. Anyway, walking walking back a little bit. Um, so the, the big takeaway is um, the pacing of the book sort of is juxtaposed between 
personal insight and life events, um, which honestly, there aren't very many. Like he never talks about getting married, even though he does mention his wife at the time, a couple of instances, even though that was something that I wondered, uh, quite a bit while reading is about how did this man get married? Oh yeah. Could you imagine that wedding? (laughs) Knowing what, you know, having read that book, they got married in 85. They got a divorce in 2005. Can you imagine that wedding? I really can't. It's it's mind-boggling. But there are a lot of really peel-the-curtain moments that you both like and kind of want more of that he never really goes into. Now, he he does talk about himself pretty much across all of his books. And if you watch No Reservations or um, A Cook's Tour or really anything he's been in, he never, he's never really hiding anything. Like the guy just doesn't really talk about himself that much. He prefers to kind of wax poetic on the human condition when it comes to culture and food, um, which sometimes comes off um, deeper than you think a celebrity chef should be able to contribute. <laughs> But uh, I definitely, definitely yanked uh, Derek on for the, uh, what is this? The roller coaster ride. It's kind of a roller coaster ride. I, the, and again, not to, not to go over every place he goes to or to get really too deep into the memoir aspect. Cause I think there's a lot of charm in reading it. Um, on and your this own. is like, I don't, I, yeah, there's a lot of charm in reading it on your own and I, and recounting it wouldn't really do it much service. The thing that I, the thing that I will say about reading the book is that the way the two parts are juxtaposed, it makes sense, but I was ironically always more enamored by his very like again it's almost like an investigative journalist like edge and how he describes uh the daily aspects of running a kitchen the um actual restaurant business and his kind of like like descriptions of you know the workplace how they get their food the pro the whole process i always thought that was to me the more interesting part of the book than necessarily some of his uh life story and that's not to make and that's not to like denigrate his life story it's more i think to highlight what uh really works about the book and i think part of why it is as successful as it was because this was a huge oh uh, it was, was a best-selling book in 2000 like it and it pretty much launched well, his career it, as a it, as it, a celebrity with a, it chainsawed the door to kitchen uh what's the word i'm looking for to 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 sort of like the the industry behind the swinging doors in a kitchen like people that work in the industry know how it is but a lot of people just like you know you go you eat food you don't ever really think about it and unless somebody tells you about it, how would you ever know? And this was one of those books where everybody was like, did you hear what they're doing in kitchens? Apparently they have drug problems. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, and he is very frank about describing the difficult lives that chefs lead. They have to work long bullshit hours. A lot of it's a very high stress, fast paced environment, and you have and a lot of them are you know come from lower income backgrounds or from backgrounds where they don't really have a lot of options. Um, and it it sucks, and it kind of invites this weird macho atmosphere slash. Uh, drug abuse or other substance abuse. Um, and there's this entire kind of weird pseudo um, like weird mystique that he draws you into. Um, honestly, the a book that I'd like to draw some comparison to, and it's not the exact same thing, but uh, it reminded me a little bit of reading Fast Food Nation. A little bit. Um, largely because largely because of how it really kind of shows you the micro and macro of a, an entire business that you don't ever really think about unless you're in that business. Um, and while Fast Food Nation is far more critical, I think, of the industry that it's in and has this detachment that is kind of made by being a work of investigative journalism this book is far more intimate about the experience of being there um and i think you really do kind of feel at least for bourdain's descriptions of his just kind of his survival yeah he he, he Except to a point, that's what it really is. Survivor's is. gravitas. He's, a little bit, it feels like at points. Like you, you know, that guy survived a yeah, fucking Yeah, because this war. is definitely not a career I could succeed in. Because I'm too. Yeah, I mean, and so. that's that's one of the major reasons outside of just not enjoying it was that I never could do it. Like I, I can make good food. I can't make good food fast. Uh, I, that's just never been in my wheelhouse. Like I can dice an onion I can dice carrots. I can dice veggies like pretty quick. But when it comes to like timing sauces and timing accoutrements and having my mise en place, which means have your shit in order in French, uh, <laughs> that's not what it means, but it's basically what it means. <laughs> uh, mise en place is just, uh, the, the French culinary philosophy of like, have your stuff cut up, have your 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 seasonings ready, have your herbs and spices ready, have everything ready to go. That way when like you're making food, you don't have to hunt for anything. That's why you see so many chefs have like those little dishes that have like the diced onion or the diced garlic or whatever. Uh, mostly because they had somebody to do that for them. It's called a sous chef. <laughs> Which most of us do not have. Mm-hmm. I'll be I, I don't know anytime. if I can trust you with a kitchen knife. Wow. Yeah, there we go. I tried. That <laughs> I was like, damn. I felt like that may have come off a little rough. I was definitely not intending that. <laughs> it's either that or the gun. Oh, what do man. you trust me with? Uh, sure? Are we are we holding kitchens hostage now? Oh god. Gun or the knife, Which one, Which one do I get? That's true. Um. So the the things that I like about the book in particular is that throughout the entire read, you really don't feel like somebody's spinning you a yarn. 
Like, the whole time, he's just telling you how things work. Or have worked for him, at least. And there's some something to be respected about that kind of naked honesty that you don't get in a lot of industries, much less in, even in, in personal relationships. Like, that's a lot of... That's a lot of things taken for granted that you may not necessarily have access to normally. Um, I really like... There's a chapter called A Day in the Life um, that really hits home how shitty it is to be the top chef in an industry and have to go to work. So, like, the guy wakes up before the sun. He spends an hour thinking about the menu. He takes a shower, spends 15 minutes thinking about the menu in the shower, has like 15 minutes of conversation with his wife during like the news, but he's paying attention to the news to see if there's like any games or weather or inclement weather or anything. So to like figure out what the crowd's going to be on the weekend. Uh, And then it sort of walks you step by step of like how, what he did that day. And Honestly, the bit where he yells at the food distributor that wasn't the one he put the order with, and he feels like almost Jesus on the cross guilty about it for the rest of the night is one of my favorite parts of the book. (laughs) So, like, he thinks he puts in, what was it, carrots or tomatoes? I don't remember what it was. It was a vegetable order. And he thought he had it with one distributor, and he didn't get it on time. And he called and just... And he calls up. He calls up and bitches out his Just distributor. Started screaming to, at the guy. Yeah. Only to find out, not two minutes later, after he hung up the phone, uh, his sous chef reminded him that they didn't get the vegetables from that distributor this week. And it's it's a recurring theme through like the rest of that particular chapter. He's like, "I got to apologize someday, but it ain't the time right now." <laughs> it's just that like being that human um, is really terrifying yeah, there is this very there is this again the realness the human element i you know no two memoirs are entirely alike i think but the the feeling of reading some memoirs can also be very um can also feel kind of similar because a lot of people start off with their especially like this kind of celebrity style of start off as a wild child fuck up repeatedly until they figure their place out and then kind of live with themselves because it it honestly reminded me a lot of reading i am ozzy the ozzy osbourne's uh biography um which you definitely would respect. not have expected out of uh, which is and that's a, yeah, that's a book i go back that to out of a, uh, that's a, a book food I go back memoir every couple of years now I mean, it, it really is. It's the, it has that framework of, as ah, I fucked up and fucked up and fucked up until I yes. fucked up upwards and you know figured out what I was gonna you know and figured out finally got my shit together. And this and and again, the thing about Kitchen Confidential is it got his shit together in the, like it it catapulted him. And it makes one wonder, I guess, what his life would have continued like had he not become a celebrity TV chef. <laughs> I mean, he he probably would have. And that's not even that's not even fair. He's not really like a celebrity TV chef. He's kind of a really wandering just a, dude who respects culture and food. He's got a he, as a he's kind TV of the Kwai Chain Cane of the culinary. <laughs> 
just wandering town to town as a monk <laughs> of food. And that's kind of, and that's that's again kind of how he lives his life. Because there's a big stretch of the book of him just having to go to different restaurants to like. Oh, there's a whole that, chapter um, where there's like like he knows what, probably... fifteen or sixteen restaurants where he is just a straight mercenary in for like eight years. Yeah, and that's that's again one of the big truisms of the book is that restaurants have a very high turnover rate. Yeah, he he waxes on about attrition um, quite a bit because I don't think he ever wants to glamorize... He never really wanted to glamorize how it was done without people considering that it is not a fun or rewarding job unless it is something you actually want to do. Yeah, it's very... It's very strange in that... Or not strange, it's... It's very honest in that regard, but it's also very, to some degree, disheartening. I would say jarring. Kind um, of. Like, if you don't know that much about how kitchens work, you would think, you know, there, there, there's an art to them. Or whatever. Yeah, People exactly. Show up and and you, don't, you don't understand all of the little moving little. parts that have to go into a kitchen to make them work. Um, and I definitely do like, even at the worst parts of the book, where he does harp on the camaraderie in a kitchen. There's, yeah, that's a that's a big running theme of the book. Is this weird brothers in arms um, almost <laughs> brothers in arms quality? Because again, one of the things he repeats is that a lot of the people who get into cooking are people who don't really have lots of other options. You know, recent immigrants, um, quote unquote yes. exiles, as he puts it, of like fuck ups like him, or people who have had to like you know up in their lives. Um, and it makes this weird sense of loyalty um, to the other people that kind of work in that same space. And it is like a very universal thing, you know, the enjoyment of food. Yeah, I, I think more people have been brought together over food than almost anything else in life. Like, there's... What do we call it, Jordan? The... Uh, uh, are oh, kind of like debt? food packed. Yeah, we food debt. Thank in you. our in our circle of friends, we have what is called a food debt. And you have this too in your circle of friends, though you may not understand it. But it's it's kind of just this um if I'm taking you to a place for the first time, I'm probably paying for you because I don't want you to pay your own money to have a meal you're not going to possibly like. Um if you're broke, we feed you, like no questions asked, because eventually it'll come back around. Like you essentially, you just, you know, you, you treat your, it's community, man. You gotta take care of your people. It's, uh, it has definitely become very, uh, food debt in our circles has definitely become a little wild though. It's occasions. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, having reread the book now, um, I'm very happy that we did because it does remind me that. Um, there's a lot going on in life and no matter what your job is, there's always a better way to look at it. And the mindsets may not necessarily harm you as much as you think. So what do you think, Derek? Do you regret it? Anything. Read the book. Do you regret everything? All right, there we go. Oh yeah, lots of things. 
but you don't regret reading the book. Yeah, it is. All right. No, absolutely not. It's, I was trying to parse what you just said, and what I think, yeah, I think that's, again, I, it, it's very hard to talk about a memoir without analyzing, I guess, all the actions of uh, the author and the, like, the, the kind of feelings and stuff that it evokes. Because to me, it just always, it, like, this reads like a story of survival, acceptance, and finally, like, I don't want to say, like, victory, because he, by the end of it, he has kind of, if he's, he's basically transformed from a snot-nosed punk kid into a successful Derek, manager and it's chef. It's a hero's journey. <laughs> he's not, like... And the, the thing is, is that... Look, I'm not cut out to be a... Uh, I'm not cut out to be a... A general manager, a guy who screams at people. So I don't feel a whole lot of sympathy in some of these parts. I will say. I think one of the things that is, at least, a good memoir not only makes you feel sympathetic, but also know. But you also have to know when to be, you know, when to be more critical of the author here and. The thing about the um, thing about the writing style and the realness, it's evident that he doesn't. It's evident to me, at least, that you, you know, this is not. This is a works and all kind of yeah. thing. You know what I mean? He's not interested in making a fake version of reality. He cut like he he can come off as an asshole, and he flat out admits it. And that's it's the thing that I, I that again I honestly how really does he how does he describe himself an unrepentant brat bastard? Yeah, something like that. And he mentioned it's it's part of why I like I like this book and why I like I am Ozzy is there is this understanding and reflection on man I was a shithead that kind of goes through and there's a lot of points in it where from our audience perspective he's not altogether very sympathetic but you kind of like because of how much because of the realness he presents you still at least kind of you still at least kind of side with them and i really think the honest point of the book is not about any kind of hero's journey or you know an excuse for anthony bourdain to put like to make him his own mythologized story of himself but really just to juxtapose his own weird shitty like weird shitty um uh like life choices and life in the uh, culinary industry and with the greater systemic kind of problems and atmosphere of the industry. That was a lot. You feel better? Is it cathartic? Uh, kind of. Did you, did you, did you let it go? Oh no, no, oh, no, I don't think I have. So, uh, I, I enjoyed the book 
Um, it seems like Derek did as well. You you may not know a lot about food, and I don't think that's a precursor to needing... You don't need to know anything to read the book. It's definitely just a, a read that you can sit down and walk through and just sort of enjoy, because there are parts of it that are like, oh, that was really weird, and there are other parts where you're like... You, like there were a couple of reactions where I was like, man, that feels like that was too honest, right? <laughs> It's it's yeah. again it's very works and it's, all. Uh, too honest is maybe it's it's a borderline. I, I I wouldn't say there's anything in here that's borderline TMI except for some of like there's there's these long chapters at the end of it where he talks about some of the people he's worked with and he talks about his 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 sous chef I or not a sous chef Steven. like his assistant chef like his right hand man Steven Steven and his. And his and Steven's buddy, uh, I don't even remember what his buddy's name is. Oh, Adam real name or Adam them, real last name unknown. Yeah, Adam real last name. Thank you. That gets a little TMI. I like those people do not like the way he describes and writes about them. It is both loving and the most damning portrait of two people I've ever read. <laughs> It's uh, it's definitely something else. Like that kind of takes me. Like that was like the most out there chapters was the two chapters about Stephen and Adam. Yeah, Adam. So like, <laughs> it's just so it's just so funny to me. Like when you're when you're listening to it, because like Adam real name real last name unknown is. Uh, I guess what you would imagine as being the 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 slacker version of Hunter S. Thompson, except on more drugs. And <laughs> what did what did Tony say? He's like the only curse that God has ever given us is that this is the man who makes his bread. <laughs> yeah, he makes like, the best bread. In the this world. is God's gift to bread, and that is the ultimate joke and punishment for the rest of. <laughs> It's just, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's monsters. just, it's funny being able to see, like, the light and dark in people in that weird a way. Because, like, he talks about, like, Steven and, and Adam, like, I've fired both of these guys about 30 times. And they always come back. <laughs> so, uh... I think that's about it. I, like, I would definitely recommend reading the book, even if you don't have much of an interest in food itself, just because it's definitely a wild ride. It's, you know, I, so I'll be, I'll be straight with the audience here. I don't know if we've done a great job of describing this book so much as we have describing the man who wrote it. I will say that if you like memoirs or if you're into if you're into knowing how the sausage is made this is a great read i absolutely had fun reading it when i started reading it i couldn't put it down which is the best which is the single best like compliment i can give to anything cuz uh, some of the other books jordan has sprung on me for the show have been much harder for me to get I don't into. Think I, what book have I sprung on you? We've begrudgingly agreed to most of them. Sprung's maybe a little bit. Yeah. bit we, of the there there word, have been books but... we have both begrudgingly agreed to and then immediately regretted. <laughs> Looking at you, Golden Compass. Yeah. 
I was gonna say I, yeah. I picked nothing. Tell but that to the polar here. bears. I didn't pick. I the know, what a regret that was, man. But uh, on on an outgoing note, I will leave us with a quote from Anthony Bourdain, um, which is probably one of the most Zen things I've ever heard out of the man, and is really something that everybody should kind of take to heart. Uh, he said, "Maybe that's enlightenment enough." to know that there is no final resting place of the mind, no moment of smug clarity. Perhaps wisdom is realizing how small I am and unwise and how far I have yet to go. Yeah, that really does put it on. Yeah, the I, the I, just the sense that the self-awareness that maybe we aren't as big as we think we are is, uh, is definitely a lesson to learn. But uh, read Kitchen Confidential, look up Anthony Bourdain, watch the next 15 hours of No Reservations, you won't regret it. Yeah, you can find a book. Uh, apparently, there's lots of episodes on Hulu of uh, No Reservations, and uh, you can wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, look, looks left, looks right, uh, watch a bunch of Did you just Ulu face on YouTube? on YouTube? What? Did you just Ulu Kirby what? face on YouTube? Oh, God. Yes. Okay. All right. We got to go. Good night, everybody.